are listening to a remastered episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? Come on in. Take a seat. Um, what I'm trying to do uh, on the show every once in a while uh, is go back to some of my favorite episodes, some of what I think are the best episodes that we've done, but unfortunately, we recorded them with the earlier equipment. So earlier microphones, different ways of connecting with folks. I think I tried to record today's episode over Skype. Ugh. So um, they're just great episodes that I feel like could use a little sweetening, uh, a little upgrade. And so that's what we're doing today. And today's show marks the first guest, the first real big Hollywood guest that I got on the podcast. It was uh, a wild situation for me because this was when I started reaching out to folks through Instagram. And this was before I was verified. So this was before I had the blue check mark. And let me tell you, once you get the blue check mark and you get verified, it changes the game. People start to go, who the fuck is this person that's verified that's reaching out to me? It really makes a difference. So I booked today's guest before that. Um, which says a lot about our guest today because he actually agreed to do it without really knowing much about me or what was going on and what was going to happen. And it was pretty early on in the podcast, so we didn't really have the track record yet. Um, but this was definitely one of those watershed moments where I get a guest like this on and then suddenly I'm able to get other guests and it was a big moment. And you could tell when I was doing this, I was excited. I was a little bit nervous it was early in in the podcast, you know, history that it, this was me doing this, trying to figure it all out. Like, could I get the Skype to work? Could I not get the Skype to work? Uh, and I also had to catch our guest in between sets, in between shots. I think I literally recorded this episode while he was sitting in the back of a van being shuttled between sets. It was pretty crazy. Um, I love this one. It's one of my favorites. Uh, and I sit down and I talk with uh, stuntman, stunt coordinator, legend, Wade Eastwood. Now, some of you may know this name. I know I have a lot of stunt people that listen to the show. You guys all know who Wade is. Uh, but maybe just you moviegoers don't. Wade is the guy behind the scenes. He's the one designing the fights that Tom Cruise does in the Mission Impossible movies. Wade is the one putting them together. In one of my favorite bits of today's episode, he actually talks about that fight scene in Mission, Impo Mission Impossible Fallout, the one that happens in the bathroom, right? That intense fight scene in the bathroom. He talks about how he designed that. It's really cool. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited to bring this to you. I'm excited to update this uh, episode for you. Let me talk about some of the movies that Wade's done. Wade has done stunts on movies like, let's go all the way back here. Uh, he was an assistant stunt coordinator on Troy, assistant stunt coordinator on Mr. and Mrs. Smith. He did stunts on Drag Me to Hell. Uh, he worked on The Hangover. Holy shit. The Town, Bridesmaid, Horrible Bosses, Men in Black, Three, World War Z stunt coordinator. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow, stunt coordinator, great movie for stunts. Uh, Interstellar, uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, Spectre, he was a stunt driver. 
uh, Jack Reacher stunt coordinator, the Mummy stunt coordinator. Obviously, uh, Tom Cruise likes working with this guy. Mission Impossible's Fallout, uh, Jumanji, the next level stunt coordinator, and he's doing the two upcoming Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning movies. Uh, he's an incredibly talented dude. Uh, he's a really nice guy to talk to. And like I said, this was a big episode for the show. So I hope you guys enjoy it. We'll throw some new music underneath and I'll try to sweeten up the audio as best I can. You'll hear the difference in microphones, for me at least, when you listen to the show. How much great gear really makes the show sound better. So hope you guys enjoy it. Wade, thanks for uh, coming and uh, taking a few minutes to talk to me about what you do. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, so I, I have to say off the bat that uh, I'm a big fan of the movies that you work on. I'm a big fan of the work you do. Um, myself, I am a, a director that is on the verge of making my first Hollywood movie, and there's some stunt work in that movie, and this would be the first time I'm actually working with a stunt coordinator, so I have a lot of like really deep questions that as myself as a director i would want to ask you so yeah i'm hoping that that will uh, help uh, some of my young listeners and some of the young uh, filmmakers that are that are tuning in today understand better understand what it is that you guys do and have a better appreciation for that work great awesome man um so let's uh just start so it's you but your schedule's been pretty crazy like where are you at right now <laughs> so yeah i'm in uh, london at the moment in england um, I just finished a uh, fallout mission Impossible six and went home for three weeks. It was meant to be for six months, but, uh, 
I had a call to come back uh, to England to do Men in Black, um, <laughs> a spin-off of Men in Black, so with Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. So um, I'd always wanted to work with Chris, actually. He's, he's a phenomenal guy, so uh, uh, I didn't turn it down, so I'm back. I was home for three weeks and uh, back in England uh, at the same studio, but on a different movie. <laughs> I was really surprised to hear that, because I know that you had just finished up the new Mission Impossible movie, and I figured that you'd be out racing cars or something at this point. <laughs> yeah, that was the plan. I was uh, pretty exhausted after that one. I was a year and a half on that, you know, with uh, getting the script right and prep and everything. And um, it was uh, definitely, uh, definitely, my plan was to go and uh, just do some racing and do some surfing and, and chill with the family. But um, you know, I've got a good relationship with the studio and, uh, um, and they called me and it was a Chris Hemsworth film and uh, it was exciting. So I said, yes, I couldn't turn it down. Uh, I'm excited about it. I can't wait to see what you guys are working on. Um, it's funny. It's going to, it's going to be funny. <laughs> and I'm sure it's going to be pretty intense too. Cause, uh, your action sequences are rad, dude. <laughs> to say Thank the you least. very much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get it in there. It's a, it's an alien movie, obviously. So, um, it's not as, uh, you know, it's not as intense physical human action, mm -hmm. but I'm def definitely trying to keep the sort of real, real action in it as much as possible, and uh, only only use the sort of CG green skin elements when we we, we physically have to because we're in an alien world or we're fighting aliens. So do as much physical action as I can. That stuff is the best, man. Like, I believe in the same thing as a director. I try to do all of my effects uh, in camera. I try to do all my stuff physical because there's something beautiful about the natural, I don't even want to say mistakes, but just the natural chemistry that happens on camera that isn't too overplanned as far as CGI is concerned. Um, and it just feels a hell of a lot more realistic when you're watching the film. 100%. You know, uh, the way I look at it is I, I try and do everything real and, and then use CG to enhance or complement things you know, to, to take it to another level, but you have real physical action that you can key off that camera operators can follow in camera that actors can, you know, develop their characters off and play off with each other and give performances based on it. And then we just enhance it and key off it. Even if it's a full CG character, you put someone in there in a full suit moving. So you've got someone to look at, react to with an eyeline and, and, and do, you know, have physical reactions. If you go, too much the other way where you're relying on all green screen and CG work and you, you know, very little reference work um, or just put the people in there purely for a reference or an eyeline. Mm -hmm. you, you, you lose the quality of performance, I think, um, for, the, for the actors. They, it's, too, it's too fake. Yeah, no, completely agree, man. And I can't wait to get into this. So let me just jump right into it and start really simple for whatever fans that are listening that don't really know what a stunt coordinator does. Can you just quickly sort of describe what the job of a stunt coordinator is? Yeah, I mean, the stunt coordinator's basic job is to make sure that whatever action scenes are in the movie are, you know, choreographed, rigged and rehearsed properly and, 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 you know, that, that they safely executed and that you negate as much risk as you can. Um, during all your rehearsal stages so that you, the stunt is repeatable um, and, you know, it, it, it's safe and, and performable. Uh, over the years, that job title for some people has changed and it's, it's a, a lot more of creating the action um, very early on. A lot of scripts are written with guy runs out of, out of <laughs> office and a chase ensues or a car chase ensues or, you know, or nothing and an action sequence ensues. And then it's our job a lot to, depending on, what level of coordinator you, you become or working at it. Your job is then to actually create and write the action in with the director and the writers and create the action from nothing. Um, and, uh, that, that's the part that I, I love. I love the creative side of, 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 you know, from absolutely nothing 
from just a rough outline to actually create action sequences that are very strongly character-based. Oh, and that's what I love about your work is that it feels like every time you see, um, there, it doesn't seem like you're doing any sort of lazy tricks. Like every time you watch a character, like in the new Mission Impossible movie, each character seems to have their own way of doing things that actually says something about the character's motivation, says something about how the character would handle situations that they're in. Um, how many people are generally on your crew on a film at the Mission Impossible size? Uh, Mission size, I've normally got like about a 12 strong core team, mm-hmm. um, which I call my core. And then as the sequences, as I need more people in car chases and, you know, I can have 70, 100 odd stunt people or more, you know, working in the, in the scene on, on Troy, my core team was 75 core. Wow. Um, and then I had, you know, 250 um, other guys plus action extras <laughs> plus general extras. So it was, um, it was a thousand people in every shot except one, I think, that I did action-wise on that movie. So it, it's a, it's a lot to manage. Um, but you know, again, I, I rehearse a lot. I choreograph, rehearse a lot because I'm very, very sh- strong on on the on the character action. As I said before, I, I, I hate doing action just for action's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's always the, the hardest thing for me is to try and you know to try and stick, make sure the directors and everyone else stick to. To, to the action plan to make sure it stays character based and, and, and we don't sort of bridge, you know, change rules halfway through a sequence and confuse the audience. Yeah. And there's something to be said about that continuity and, and just sticking with that. When you, when you first get a script, what is your process? Um, so <clears throat> it takes me ages to read a script. I'm the worst because <laughs> I, 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 vi- I unfortunately visualize every single word that I read. And I always, I used to work for this amazing second year director for many years back in the day, um, Simon. And he used to get so annoyed with me because I'll quickly read this and he would read it in an hour and I would take like a day and a half. Um, and he would just keep telling me to stop visualizing, but I, I visualize every word because I have to escape. It's just the way I, I am. I escape very quickly in a script. Um, if it's a good script, if it's a, if it's not a good script, uh, I, I disconnect, I struggle and then I'm, I can't do the movie and, uh, unless there's going to be major changes. It's, I just wouldn't want to do that type of movie, you know? Yep, yep. Um, but if, if the script engages me, I'm already, whilst I'm reading it, I'm, I, I am in the movie myself running around or doing whatever the person's doing and imagining what I would do and where I would go. So if my process, I think is quite different to, um, other people's maybe, but, for me, it, it works that way. Like, especially with the missions, I can connect with Ethan Hunt, the character, very well. You know, when I look at an a, a, a action sequence or a script, I'm reading it and I'm, I'm with him and I'm, I'm going on a journey. I'm like, well, how do I want to get there? What are my options right now? And I, I think of what I would do in that situation. What are my options? Where would I go? And how would I do it? And and that's sort of how I, I'm, I develop the action. And then breaking it down, I then obviously break each sequence down. I'm going to have. Um, a Paris car chase and motorbike chase. I'm going to have a, a halo jump here um, that takes us there. I'm going to have a you know fight scene here in a bathroom. I'm going to do this and that. So I break each action sequence down. Once we once we know what the sequences are, that takes some time getting there to that point. Um, and then I go to my team and I have a, a sort of beat sheet and breakdown that I do mm-hmm. of the key elements, character elements that I have to keep in the sequence. That whatever we do, we have to know okay, it's not about fighting each other. It's about getting the bomb or it's not about this. It's about that's our goal and our objective. And our objective has to be the focus of that fight or that scene that whatever we do, we have to always relate to that objective. Otherwise you lose touch. You start getting to this amazing fight scene. It's amazing. And everyone's like, Oh my God, this is incredible. 
but why are we fighting? What do we do? What's our reason for it? You know, and that's, it's very easy to lose that. So I always put the sort of key words down, if you like, and the key elements. Um, and then a lot of the time I'll, I'll give my team the sort of outline of where we're going with it. Mm -hmm. and, and then I go away, like the bathroom fight, I will go into bathrooms and like, some sort of weirdo sometimes <laughs> I hang around, I hang around in a bathroom, you know, <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> wait, wait till it's, especially if it's empty and I'll, I'll go and lie on the floor and I'll be like, if I was down here, what would I do? And you know, if someone walks in and I get a couple of strange looks and, um, and then <laughs> I'll see the, you know, the, the plumbing or like the, the P trap and the sink, you know, that we grab stuff like that. I'm like, that could be a weapon. Okay. We can use that. That's been done before smashing a glass mirror and taking a shard. We've done that a million movies. So, you know, I could do this, I could do that. I could take the plug hole out and use it as a spike. I could do this. And I, and I start thinking what, if I was desperate, if I was defending my life or my family's life, what would I do? And that's how I get ideas. Hmm. And then I go back to my team and I give them those ideas. And I'm like, nah, let's construct a fight with all this in it, with these key elements from each character. So that, that's an example of how I do it for a fight, for example. I, I have to put myself in the situation before I can create it. That makes a lot of sense. I find myself doing the same thing if I'm writing a script or if I'm even trying to block out a scene ahead of time so I can board it and do my prep, I, I have to do the same sort of thing, walk through it and pretend like I'm in that space and try to figure it out. So that makes sense to me. That's pretty cool. I think, yeah, I think it's important for audiences as well. You know, if we, if you're running on top of buildings, building to building or something and doing these big jumps, or you're out somewhere doing a mad sequence on a mountaintop, not everyone in the world has been on a mountaintop or jumping on building or doing that. But if you can relate it more to human things, like, you know, everyone's has a, sink at home and a, a toilet and hopefully well not everyone but most people um <laughs> and uh, you know they, they have i like to use relatable items relatable locations um so that the mass audience can get into the story because i'm like oh god yeah i've been I've, I've done i've never thought about that you know rather than when you're in these faraway worlds obviously and doing these extreme things not everyone's had the opportunity to do all that, so they won't necessarily relate to it. Most people, when they think stunts, they think car chase, they think punching, they think all that stuff. But what in a script is actually classified as a stunt? It's not always the big stuff, correct? No, it's anything that, um, any punch, kick, anything that's sort of breaking traction in a car, breaking speed limits, anything like that is is considered a stunt. Even the smallest thing needs planning. Um, it's actually the small stunts that always are the worst. The, the big ones are so over-prepped and over-planned. Um, you know, if it's going to go wrong, it's going to be very wrong. You're going to be dead. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they're always over-prepped and over-planned and, and everything's in place and the protocols. It's the small stunts. Like you're doing a fight, for example, going back to fights and you get kicked and, you know, it, you're not meant to go here. You've got a rubber table, so you hit the rubber table or something but then you bounce off it badly and hit a stone step that's a little while away and you get stitches in your eye or something like that. So Ugh. it's always the unexpected little things, you know, the rub, the tables rubber, but the one side's hard and you have to do the hard side because you weren't meant to go there, but you did and you break a rib. It's always the small things that do that, that hurt. Like Tom's stunt on fallout with a foot, you know, it, oh, it yeah. was the smallest stunt we've done in the last five years of movies that we've done together. It's like nothing. My, my stunt double lined up the shot 30-odd times doing the jump. Tom did it a couple of times himself, no problem. It was just that one little thing, just pushing, pushing hard. And it's just like, oh, shit, I should have bent my leg. I didn't, damn it. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's just it's just those little things. I mean, you know, he's recovered. It's all good. But it's always the little hard ground-pounding gags that get you. The big ones are always, uh, you know, they, they're, they're a bigger visual, bigger to the audience, but they're generally much more controlled and much safer. 
For sure. And it's such an interesting thing because whenever I'm on a film set and I'm trying to shoot, you're under this, you're under the gun most of the time and you're trying to get as much done as you possibly can. You're trying to cram in as much as you can during the day. But the thing about stunts to me that seems a bit scary is that uh, if you're rushing or if you're pushing too hard, then someone can actually get injured really badly. Um, at, at what point do you, have you ever had to call it? Like, have you ever been oh, in yeah. that situation? Oh, yeah. Oh, loads of times. Okay. Yeah, loads of time. Everyone that knows me will know I'm not scared to call it. It's, uh, you know, it's it's the producer's job and everyone's job to push. Um, it's everyone in the film industry has a job to do. It's the production designer's job to fight for creating the most amazing sets and then, and looks. And then the stunt guys come in and like, well, I need a rubber tail. I need this over there. I need that moved over there to do the fight. And it's our job to fight for the action. His job to fight for the sets looking nice. The DP's job to fight for the lighting to be correct. And together you create amazing movies, mm-hmm. um, all fighting for your own job. So you have to be strong and stand your ground and have the confidence and, and the belief in what you need, and you, you know, in order to make it safe and, and correct. So if I'm doing a scene, it's getting late, and they want to, okay, we're going to get into the action now. I'm like, no, it's too late. We've had a 12-hour shooting day already. Um, we're not getting into action. Like this is when accidents happen. Camera crew are tired. This, this is tight. It's, it's, I'm calling. I've done that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and it's my job to do it. And it's the produ- it's everyone else's job to ask the question, the director's job. Oh, please, can- is it? No, that's their job, everyone's job. And then the trust is there. And we go, no, let's reschedule. Let's do this this way and that that way. And we work it out. No one would ever force you to do, no producer or studio would ever force you to do something that's that's unsafe. That All they're doing is asking the question. There are, there are those people that are obviously just always want to please. They always want to please the producer, the director of <laughs> the studio. And they're like, yeah, we can do it. And then accidents happen. Yeah. And it's, it's that sort of cowboy mentality that is, a, is dying out in our business, thank God, because it's no longer like, you know, oh yeah, half half, we did it. That was lucky. We don't do that. And I don't do that. It's, it's not never lucky. It's always controlled and, and, you know, and assessed, calculated risk assessed and, and performed. And that, that's the way it's, that's the way it's it's got to be, you know. It's um, you know, when I second you direct, I'm second you director on this, so I have my own unit, and I have to plan my day, and plan the fights, and plan the the action that I'm doing, and I plan it in a, a way that I don't want to get the actors at the end of the day doing the biggest action because they're going to be tired throughout the day. Yeah. So I have I have to plan my shots, and plan my my day in a way that, get, you, I use them when they're at the peak of their energy. Um, and then throughout the day, I simplify the shots and the actions so that, you know, we tone it down. That's actually a good, uh, pivot point here because uh, I wanted to get into the fact that you have been doing, uh, that you have a really impressive list of second unit, uh, director credits. Now, uh, you've pretty much been doing it on all of Tom Cruise's latest, uh, big action films. Um, how did you make that step up to that position? Like, how did it change things for you? Well, it's just it's just having more control of your action, you know. I mean, I come in, I, I write the action with 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 the producer, and the, uh, with the writers and the director, and um, and Tom and stuff. We write it together. <clears throat> we come up with the best sequences that are, sequences that are best for the character mm-hmm. um, and the film. So, and then I choreograph and rehearse with my team, and we get it all done. But because I'm so close to the action, I, I'm in it all day. Whereas the director's doing other things and other scenes and. You know, it's a busy schedule, so we have to split units. So because I'm so close to the action, becoming a second-year director, you just you get full control. So now I know the best shots because I've, 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 I've created the action, so I know the best shots to, to get in order to shoot it. So um, that's the relationship. I will shoot the action, and 
um, and the step was sort of a natural transition, you know, from stunt performer, if you're a real film fan and you understand camera and story and you will naturally progress to a stunt coordinator and then you manage big teams and you set up the action and choreograph it yourself. And then if you're, um, you know, if you, if you really understand lens and camera and, and, and storytelling, then you could naturally transfer again into being a second year director and, and possibly a, a main year director. There's some, there's some great, you know, second year directors that have made that transition like uh, Dave Leach, mm-hmm. um, you know, with Deadpool two, which he did an amazing job, people like that. Um, and they've become great, mania directors so you know it's 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 a journey all right it's time to take a second i want to update the sponsor section so we're going to do some new reads on an old episode because why the fuck not right so sponsoring today's show our friends over at fujifilm If you are looking for a great still camera, Fuji has my favorite right now in the market. I used to be a brand loyalist to another brand, but they just haven't advanced enough. Really? Like I need a great camera that has really good low light ability, especially if I'm shooting stills. Because oftentimes as a photographer these days, you're hired to come in to do stills on a video shoot set. And so back in the day when we were using, and by back in the day, I mean a few months ago, when we were using older medium format cameras, it required a lot more light. Too much light uh, so that I couldn't use uh, constant light units. I would have to use strobes, which was tough because strobes is a completely different vibe on set. It changes everything. Um, And it's really hard to match uh, a movie lighting set with strobes. Like the modifiers are different. Everything's different. Strobes are just like this big splash of intense light. So you have to light them differently, do stuff with them differently. And you would never have time on these shoots to do it. Like when Gina did The Boys, there was no way that you can go in there and recreate what they were doing with strobes and be able to fit it in the time schedule of like, you've got 15 minutes, come shoot these guys, you know? (laughs) So we needed to find great medium format camera that could work with movie lighting, low light stuff, low um, noise when it comes to higher ISO. That was very important for us. Um, And that's how we stumbled across Fujifilm. Gina's out today shooting. Uh, She's shooting with the GFX 100S, which is a great medium format camera. It is powered by Fujifilm's high performance X processor, four quad core CPU, utilizes its 1.2 megabytes Uh, back illuminated large format CMOS sensor to create truly stunning results. Uh, I really fucking love that. And I love Fujifilm uh, because Fujifilm, they're committed, committed to the people that shoot, to the storytellers. They're constantly trying to make products that really enable the storytellers to tell interesting new stories, uh, and seamlessly and effortlessly. Wow, wow, my mouth's not working. Um, if you guys haven't heard it yet, go back and listen to my episode with Victor Ha, who is from Fujifilm, and we talk in depth about his commitment to finding great storytellers, to finding great photographers. Um, we are in talks about doing a contest to give away a camera. I have to, let me write that down. I have to check in with him today. Check in with Victor. Maybe we'll do this for September. Keep listening to the show. Keep keep listening to the ad reads because we're going to try to get 
a free camera into the hands of a, a really great photographer out there. I have seen some of you have been sending me uh, messages with your work. Uh, I've seen it. Send more. If you're a photographer listening to the show and you want to get your hands on some Fujifilm stuff, send me your work. We're always looking for people. Fujifilm has asked me, they've tasked me to find the listeners that listen to the show that could use something like this. See what I'm saying in a very cryptic way? Um, I'm using the Fujifilm X-H2S camera. I love this camera. I've been shooting video with this camera. It's a great video, great still camera. I love the internal LUTs on these things. Uh, I just shot some stuff with the black and white LUT and it's just gorgeous. And I can actually apply in that black and white LUT like the red filter, the green filter, I can bring the sky out. It's really, really nice stuff. And I like using the LUTs. Some people don't. They like to do everything in post, which you can shoot raw and still do everything in post. But I like to sandwich myself in with some of my, my photo shoots and use a lot and be creative with it. There's also a really great grain application inside of it as well. So you could put film grain on your images. It has like a, I think it's a low, medium and high setting. Uh, and Gina loves it. She loves it. She usually uses like an overlay for film grain. She's like the stuff that is in the camera looks so much better, so much better. Um, so I can't say enough good things about Fujifilm. I really can't. Um, so check them out. Link is in the description of this episode for all of their stuff, their social outlets and their website, uh, Fujifilm. Also supporting the show are our friends over at Puget Systems. If you're someone that is looking to build a new computer system, an edit system, um, think PC. Like uh, get off that get off that Apple train. How you're just in constant debt to Apple phones, laptops, everything. I think you should build a PC. Why? Because with a PC, you're building a tool that works for you. You're not staying within the guidelines of a larger company. Like maybe you need specific hardware. Maybe you need different hardware. And if you're going to be looking for for like specific hardware, I'd rather go into a place where it's competitive, where the prices come down quickly, right? And I also wanna build a machine that can be changed, that can be upgraded. And I wanna work with a company that has customer support, like real customer support. Like you're talking to a real human being who knows who you are and knows what the computer is that you bought. That's important. Go to pewteredsystems.com, check them out. Uh, you can buy a computer based upon the software you use. You can start to put one together and they like to consult. They like to hear from you. So you can either choose or start with a package that's listed on the website, but then reach out to them and tell them what it is that you do and what it is that you're building and how much money you have. And these guys will help you out. Uh, and if you're someone that owns a post-production facility, Puget Systems loves to work with companies to outfit an entire setup. How to make computers work well together. What is the best way to do this stuff? How do you make your PCs interact with Apple? All that stuff. It's really cool. Love these guys. I'm in talks about getting a brand new system as we speak. A new upgrade. I'm excited. Uh, head on over to PewterSystems.com and see what it is that I'm ranting and raving about. Also supporting the show are our friends over at Jambox.io. You hear me on every episode talk about these guys, how their licensed music has changed my work, how it has got me work this year for my clients. I have the ability to go to my clients and say, I have a, I have a setup where affordably I can get you music that sounds like it belongs on the radio. It sounds like it belongs on a spot, like a top uh, channel on Spotify. I love the selections that Jambox has. Their synthwave selections are phenomenal. 
Their hip hop stuff sounds real. It doesn't sound hokey and cheesy. It actually sounds legit, which is important when you're trying to cut a commercial that is stimulating real, true emotions. Um, I love them. Head on over to Jambox right now and just listen to their music. And they have great subscription plan options. I have the $19.99 a month, which is the one that allows me to use their music for paid clients. I love that. Um, but they also have a, an offer up there that's uh, inexpensive for those of you who just want music for your podcast or your social outlets, right? Your YouTube channels. Imagine that. You can put great music under your YouTube videos. Yeah. Jambox.io. Uh, check them out. Look at their subscription plans. And just go there and listen to the music. And let it influence you. Let it inspire you to create better content with Jambox.io. Uh, let's see. Well, who else? What else? I think that's generally it. Oh, the only, the only other place, our friends over at Indie Pro. We're getting close to the end of the ad reads for you guys, so we got to up up again. But um, Indie Pro, place to go if you're looking to power your cameras and monitors and accessories. One thing I can't stand about a lot of the new tech right now is for some reason, they don't like to give you a battery charger. Like there are a lot of cameras on the market where you actually have to charge the camera or charge the battery within the camera, which doesn't make any sense on production right and so i'm at the point where i'm like let's just get past that let me get an actual brick i want to have a lightweight battery that i could put on the back of my handheld rig that will not only charge the camera but it'll also run the monitor it'll run the wireless it'll run all that stuff and it's a battery that's super fast to change out like a v mount or a gold mount and then it charges super quick and it lasts a long time indie pro is what i found and what I really liked about IndiePro is that they'll build you custom power solutions to fit your specific rigs, right? So maybe you have to have like a little bit longer power cable that goes to the plate in the back. They got that. We need something custom for a new camera on the market. We got that. Check them out. And they build all that stuff in New York. This isn't shit that they have to have built in China and then shipped to you. So you get it done fast. So if you have last minute requests, maybe you just got hired as assistant camera on a feature and you're like, fuck it, this power sucks. You can go to these guys and have them hook it up for you. IndiePro.com, check it out. We have a promo code. It is in the description of today's episode. Love you guys. All right, let's get back to it with Wade. The thing that uh, I find so fascinating about action films um, is basically the the blocking and the and the coordination with a camera crew, because it's it, it goes back to almost like very sort of Charlie Chaplin silent filmmaking, where your actions are telling that story and the physical uh, movements of your characters are telling that story more than any sort of dialogue, um, which I love, 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 and. I think that strongly, like a great action sequence, you need to have an amazing stunt team, you need to have an amazing stunt coordinator, but you also need to know how to shoot that sequence correctly. Um, and, and so have you always been a nerd for cinema? Have you always been into how to cover scenes and, and, and what positions, what camera positions? Or is this something that you picked up over the years? Uh, it's definitely something you pick up you learn all the time I'm, i learn every single day there's not a day that goes by i don't learn I, and i love all the greats and uh you know i'm i'm, I'm a massive fan of cinema massive fan of cinema <laughs> um uh, but it's uh, my biggest thing is i i, I can easily shot list a sequence i'm, I'm going to do 
uh, and shoot it. And it would be, you know, great. It would be an action blockbuster and, you know, people would like it, I hope. And But my biggest challenge is I hate shooting the same style of shots. You know, fight scenes are shot this way. This is shot that way. I'm always looking to try and reinvent the wheel yeah. with how with how to shoot it and, and little things um, that keep the audience engaged. And they just, without being too clever, because then you, you come out of it again. I just want, you know, ho- holding certain shots just for that little bit longer and taking a, sh- you know, from a Y into a sort of insert and back without being too clever and just taking the, the audience on that journey. And I'm always looking to, I basically, I do my shot list very quickly. And then I spent three or four days going back through them, change them to now make it a piece, you know, something different that people look at and go, how did they do that shot? And that's amazing. <laughs> and, and, and for myself too, and, and that's the biggest hurdle for me is trying to recreate what so many of the greats have already invented and, and, and shot to death, you know? Yeah, and it shows, man. It totally shows. And I, I think that that is the ultimate... I mean, I'm a, I consider myself a very visual storyteller, and I'm, I'm fighting for that on dialogue scenes. I'm fighting for that on just, you know, standard blocking scenes. So the idea of doing something that is action-oriented in something different that is an action-oriented thing is is so cool to me. Um, that's why I'm excited to actually sit down and chat with you about this stuff because it's super cool, man. <laughs> yeah. Where do you pull your inspiration generally? Where would you pull your inspiration for like a character's movements? Like, are you watching like, are you a constant fight video guy? Are you watching fight videos online? No. Are, you, are you guys playing around in gyms? No, I don't. You know, I, I, I always, it sounds weird, but I always put myself in, in a scenario. It's like, uh, you know, when I was a very small kid, I always used to imagine that my bedroom window was a TV and that people were watching my life. <laughs> and I used to do little scenes and, and act little scenes and, uh, you know, and, and just imagine this sort of faraway land. I was much more into Tolkien and fantasy and stuff like that back, back when I was a, a real kid. Um, and I loved all the, growing up in South Africa, we had, you know, the A-Team and Airwolf and Dukes of Hazzard and all those great oh, action yeah. movies, oh, yeah. uh, TV shows. But I generally draw from myself a lot, you know, I've always wanted to be able to do everything in life. I wanted to be a racing driver, obviously first and foremost, but didn't have the money when I was, when I was young, so it didn't happen, but I, I didn't, I wanted to be able to drive, ride, do everything. So I was like, what sport is it? Skydiving. I want to be professional skydiving. I want to get, try and get to as highest level as I can, you know, and, and scuba and helicopter pilot and airplane pilot and uh, everything. I wanted to armored car driving tank. Dri- I just wanted to be able to do everything like down to, one Christmas or something, my wife's like, "Oh, she's what do I what do I get you so difficult to buy for?" And I'm like, "I want to learn. I want to learn how to unicycle. I've never I've never been able to. I've never tried it." So she bought me a unicycle, and it doesn't matter what it is. I want to be able to do it. And I've always been super competitive, and I think it's helped me a lot because I've got all these useless qualifications, if you like, <laughs> that don't, didn't help didn't help me in school or anything, you know. But I could do a lot of stuff. Um, and, but I always used to get, you know, sc- scorn that stuff's not going to help you in life. <laughs> it's useful. I just, I just was always imagining myself doing different, but now I just imagine myself as seeing, okay, the guys, men and black agents are going to run for there and go there. I'm, I'm already in the scene running. I'm already doing it or I'm flying a helicopter or I'm doing something in the scene. And because I know how to do it practically, I know how to embellish it and take it further. And, and I think, I think that's what I, I draw from that. And obviously I, I am a massive cinema buff you know and i love watching you know all the old greats and that there are some great movies but i don't want to copy anyone i want to i want to create you know yeah no it makes all the sense and for me it's the same thing i'm always looking to be inspired by it and it's sometimes it's a start off point where i'm like oh my god that's such a great way to cover 
uh, a reaction sequence with like 30 people in the room. Oh, that's super cool. And it usually for me ends up becoming like a starting point in which then I can go, okay, well, how do I make this my own? Um, mm-hmm. so it's, I love that. That's one of the cool things about our business is that cinema is all about being inspired by itself and then, and being inspired by the greats and then just taking that to the next, to the next level and to the next step. Um, while, absolutely. You know, there's amazing filmmakers out there. Yeah, man. It's super cool stuff. Super cool stuff. We could totally get nerdy about this for too long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, I have a specific question for you because I, I loved the new Mission Impossible movie and, and it was a surprise to me. And I'll be 100% honest because there's been so many Mission Impossible movies. It wasn't even on my radar. And I feel like when I saw the trailer, it was like, okay, the fact that it was shot on film, the fact that it looked strange and it just felt very gritty and real um, and then there's this real specific moment in the trailer that was in the film that I wanted to ask you about. And it's when, um, I, I'm going to pronounce his name right. Cavell, who played Superman, he's in the, he's in that bathroom sequence and he does sort of like that power up punch thing. Yeah. Where did you know, that come I, from? <laughs> that was from Henry. Totally. He's, he's a, he's a legend, that guy. I mean, he's amazing. He was unbelievable. Um, he, he hung out on my stunt workshop pretty much every day, just trained, he just even when he wasn't scheduled for rehearsals, he was there training. He he worked so hard on that movie, like ridiculously. He was an absolute gentleman too. He, I, I said it in a bunch of interviews, but he knew every crew member by name. He was and not b- because he felt he should. He just did. He was just a, he's that type of guy. He would help out. He was so low maintenance. He was he just he was really brilliant. Um, and what I try and do with fights and with anything is I try and develop styles for characters based on their strengths, not their weaknesses. It's much harder to try and teach someone something and get them into it. And I always draw from their, from what they, their life stories. So when I had Ilsa Faust or Rebecca Ferguson Mm -hmm. on the first mission, I went out and met her in Morocco and I just talked to her and listened to her and watch her move. And I see where she's strong, even in places that she, she might not say, Oh no, I'm I'm not very good with my legs or something, but I'm, I'm like, you're all about legs. And um, she might have a good vertical jump, but not a, not a very good crouch or something, or, you know, have not, not good dynamic side to side, like, you know, different sort of movements like that. So I'll, I'll work on their strengths. And that's where the thigh moves came with her and Rogue Nation because her, her, she was quite light on her feet. And Rebecca's legs were her, her strength, hence the thigh move that came in Rogue Nation. So with Henry, when I met him, he was like, he was like a bear. <laughs> and he was just this lovely guy who just reminded me, you know, he's, he was schooled in England and he, a rugby player, old school English boxer from, <laughs> from these sort of old, you know, old boxing movies. And he just, he just had this bearish strength to him, this manner that was just so sort of strong. And, but yet he was a real gentleman and kind, which is what we knew. So I wanted to, I wanted to bring out those strengths. So I sort of pitched it to him. Like, I want to make you this like brutal fighter. Like they call you the hammer. Let's make you the hammer. These are two hammers you've got right here, your fist. And I just want to have you as this brutal rugby playing fighter like that all guys can relate to that are sort of the the rugby crowd the sort of you know that sort of bar fighting without being pretty it's not it's nothing fancy about what you do it's just brutality it's just strength um and then we started doing fight rehearsals with him and i just he's just he was just he just fitted the character so well that um it just got better and better and better and that was totally improvised by henry um on the day he was doing it and we were just kept g him up like you're the hammer you're brutal and he was just like it's like rage and he was just <laughs> he just improvised he just was and he just did this thing and we're like that was brilliant like do, just do that again just do that every time and that was it 
And, and it's genius. The mustache is genius on him for that character. <laughs> it's absolute genius. Because I didn't even recognize him in the trailer. And there's such a great contradiction between that mustache and his strength. It's just perfect, dude. It, was- it is so perfect. And of course, he's, you know, he's a, he's a fairly good looking man. So, I mean, <laughs> putting, putting that mustache on him just gave him, made him a little bit more human for us guys that are, you know, that are regular looking. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, well, let me get back real quick to um, second unit directing stuff. The I'm fascinated because I've never been in that situation yet. I haven't been directing something in which I'm handing over uh, stuff to a second unit. So uh, it's kind of a scary thing, but it's also kind of a curious thing for me. How do you guys figure out? So do you just handle... Like if there's a if there's a sequence, are you just doing all the inserts and action sequence or actions uh, shots for the sequence? Or? Yeah, all the action, all the action ready. So like, <clears throat> for example, right now we're doing something. The the actresses, um, you know, they they meet in the scene and they just about to have this massive fight and um, they have the dialogue. She has a look to her just before the fight kicks off. Cut. The main unit goes off and shoots the rest of the drama scenes and I pick up with the, with the cast, with the actresses, um, the fight onwards for the next week or whatever it is or car chase and um, and do all that. And, you know, it's some second year directors will just do action and then the main unit will come back and put the actors back into the scene, you know, against green screen or whatever it is and, and, and look over and, and do a little dialogue or a little look or a little bit of performance. But, you know, with me, I've, I've, I've earned the sort of trust from the directors I work with that will trust me to get performance out of the actors because I actually, it's something I actually really enjoy. And that's, that's the biggest thing going back to what you said earlier, you know, that I tell myself a lot because my schedule is normally so, it's, it's so rushed because I'm second unit when I'm doing something that's very performance based and subjectively performance based, I want the time to get performance and I want the time to be able to sit back and watch performance and, and see if there's something I'm missing because you can have the best action sequence, but if you're not getting performance from your cast, it, it, it would only ever be there. You know what I mean? And if you, if I can just step back and get that little nuance or that little look or that something, the smirk, an eyebrow raise or something small, not even dialogue related, it could just be a feeling. And if I can get that feeling or emotion across by just having that time to watch playback, to think about things rather than rushing to the next shot to finish the scene in the day and the two days I've got to do a three day scene. And, and, and that's what I've, I've, I fight on a lot with myself when I'm shot listing and I make sure that I've got that time to sit back and, and people are rushing me and producer, oh, come, we got to finish. We got to do this. And I sit on my own and I make sure that I watch and that I'm getting what I want, what I visualize and what I see and what's right for the tone of the film. And if it is all those things, then we move on. If it's not, uh, then I try something different. But you've got to have, you've got to have that time. It's important. Do you spend a lot of time? Have you spent much time in the edit room? Have you actually seen your yes. stuff? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I spend a lot of time in there. It's, um, it's great. I love it because there's certain shots that you do and the editor might use one of those takes, but not know that I've tied it into another shot. So I'll go in and go, hang on. I did a reverse on her doing that. And that reverse has a little counter move that comes around and picks up that shot. Hmm. And it gives us a slightly longer look of, discovery for hers in performance. And he's like, well, I don't remember seeing that shot. And he's like, just go to the reverse. I get my script supervisor in with me. She's like, you know, slate this, that. And he brings it up and I just try that in there and then go to that. And he's like, oh, right, I see. And it's because they might have thought that was just a safety shot from a different angle, but they might not know that I'd, I'd tie those two shots together as an option for them to continue the journey or continue to elongate a look or a moment or, or something. So I enjoy going in there, but editors always love it too, because you know 
they've got so much footage to edit. Um, and mm-hmm. you, it can be really helpful. And then they normally get super excited about it. They're like, oh, I love this. This is great. And, oh, you did that for this and this. You know, so it's, it's, I think it's important. I think it's totally important. And I'm always telling crew people in general, like, hey, go to the edit room to see how your stuff is actually playing out and to be in that. It's a, it's a very, you go from being a, a onset person, which is like, I got to get this done. We have a plan. And then what are the elements and how do we fight those elements? And then when you get in the edit room, it's a whole different mantra of like, okay, here's a bin full of what I have to work with. How do I sort through this bin and how do I stay connected? Um, and I think it's really important. And it's a really cool thing to hear that you do spend time in the edit room because I think that's essential for any key position on a, on a film. Definitely. So these days, what are you working on? Are you are you intentionally just sort of picking out large budget projects these these days, or like what are you working on? Well, um, I mean, yes, to a degree, um, it's what I sort of get presented um, a lot. You know, the, the, the sort of larger movies because they have two big units running, yep. um, and obviously run the second unit for them. And um, yeah, it just seems to be the way that sort of my my career has gone, and. Uh, Although, you know, I'd love to do a lot of the smaller films. I'd love to do a lot of the independent films. I mainly watch independent films. Yeah. Um, for me, it's, the, it's they, they're real filmmakers. There's a lot of studio movies out there that we've lost the, to me anyway, mm-hmm. we've just lost that edge of, of, of filmmaking, accountants and financiers rather than made by filmmakers and what's best for the film and, <laughs> and made by, you know, location and, and tone and palette and texture and vibe and feel you know, and mood and all those things. It's now like, this is the budget. This is the box it fits in. This is the location that's giving us the incentive. <laughs> Go shoot. Um, and, and a lot of the time, and this is the director, we owe him something because he helped us with something years ago. And, you know, he's going to do it. Yep. You know, you're going to help him do it. Yes. Yeah, so I just hope it doesn't become, um, too, you know, more and more like that where we lose, lose touch with our, our risk-taking filmmakers. Yes. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't want to be so sanitized where I get a lot of the time with, you know, with, with a lot of the big studios and th- these new directors are like, oh, I want to do this move. I'm like, oh, that's been done so many times. Yeah, but it, it will work. Movie made. That suited that character in that movie. It doesn't suit necessarily this character in this movie. Let's try and do something really cool and different that someone else says on another movie, hey, I want to do that. <laughs> you know, let's try and be let's try and be the person that invented and came out with it rather than the person that copied it um, just because it worked. And, and that's sort of, you know, as I said, I'm lucky enough to be in a, in, in, a, in a good position with some great studios and great films that I've been a part of. But there's a lot else out there that is, is, is not like that. And uh, yeah. it's quite sad for those young, talented filmmakers that, are real filmmakers and won't necessarily get the opportunity to, to show, show their skills due to the politics of the business, you know? Yeah, it's a tough thing to actually get your movie made, and it's a, it's a really tough position to be in, and I'm at this point now where I, I'm finally sort of cracking through, and once I'm off the air, I can tell you who I'm working with, which is really kind of cool. Once, once we're off the air, I'll tell you what I really feel as well. <laughs> 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 no names, no names. Of course, brother. Of course, of course, of course. Um, but I mean, I asked that question because I love your style. I love the edge, and I love that that grittiness. And I feel like more often than not, uh, you only really see that stuff on films that can essentially afford it. You know, and so the setup is kind of the same. Or, or like 
you know, the big budget sort of studio world where we need to appeal to such a broad audience is the same. And then I feel like I start to see that stunt work that fits in that. It would just be fascinating to see your style blended into something that was like really edgy and very dangerous. Um, but I don't know if that can, I, I, can that work? Because budget at the end of the day becomes uh, restrictive for you, correct? Yeah, budget, is, it is very restrictive with budget. And, you know, it's, you get to a stage in your life where your, your time is more important than money. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so if you're going to be taken out away from your family and away somewhere like this, it has to be worth your while to a degree on the, on the personal financial side. Otherwise, th there's no there's no gain to it. You want to you want to work for the rest of your life. You know, you want to try and do it and then, and, and then enjoy the, the, the reward of working your, your ass off for, you know, 14, <laughs> 16 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, there's got to be some benefit or creatively and financially, or, or there's just no point. I'd rather go and open a little surf shack on a, on a, <laughs> on a beach somewhere and just drink margaritas, you know, and, of and, course. and why not? Of course, man, of course. Less, and have less stress. So there's got to be that element. But saying that, I, I, I do have a lot of indie films and people that, you know, contact and connect with me and lots of great friends and <clears throat> if i if a you know a smaller film came to me but it's a really cool gritty script i always want to be involved because those are the movies i love watching and, and and you know and i'd love to be a part of it but then they want to create a massive sequence and have me shoot it and when i tell them what is in you know what, what it entails and and it's not about me or co charging rates or anything like that it's nothing to do with that it's it's designing the sequence. So mm -hmm. if I say to them, I need, you know, this street in order to get scale and to show the beauty of this and to tell the story, the street costs money to, to the location costs money to to rent. All the police and the marshals cost money. If I'm locking off doorways and driveways and things, we'll need a hundred odd marshals locking off doorways and drive. That all costs money. And then you get all our camera equipment, you know, the pursuit Russian arm. The, the techno cranes, all these beautiful bits of uh, camera equipment in order to shoot these sequences and make them look, you know, these visually stunning sequences, these powerful camera moves. All that equipment costs money and then the technicians to run them, the camera yep. operators. And the budget alone just to do that based on that, the, that's the whole budget of some of these movies, just one sequence. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's not physically possible and as, as much as it would love to, it's not possible. I mean, I, I've done a lot of small movies and videos myself as a, as a friend, I actually <clears throat> helped Dave Leach out many years ago in a music video. Um, when he was a young performer who, you know, he's now turned into an incredible director, <laughs> um, with Deadpool too, too. But I helped him do a video years ago. They didn't have the, the, the budget for aerial helicopter shots and cranes and all that stuff. So I, I fly helicopters. I said, Dave, don't worry. Just, <clears throat> just you shoot it. I'll strap you in my helicopter, little helicopter, not mine, a uh, rented one. A little two seater <laughs> Robinson was like, 250 bucks to rent it for an hour. <laughs> and I took the doors off it, strapped them in with a cap with a camera, and we flew over these cliffs and had the person singing on the cliff. And we did these amazing shots. I got within like three feet of this person on the chopper. And we did these beautiful big pull-away shots of dropping over the ocean and all these big crane moves. And it gave it such production value. But if you were going to do that properly, pull in an aerial unit and yeah. Aerial helicopter and all the cow muck. Are you talking ten, fifteen thousand bucks before you've even taken taken off the ground? You know, it's like before you've even started. So you just you just couldn't do it, and that cost him two hundred and fifty dollars. I just we hired it and we went out and did it as mates, you know. And it was 
I love the rawness of that still, but it's it's you know you just it's it's very difficult to get those big production value shots. Yeah, you got to be smart about it. I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons why I was really excited to chat with you because I feel like uh, being someone that puts together a script or being someone that puts together production, it's smart to understand the scale and scope, and it's really cool. It isn't often that you get an opportunity to talk with someone like yourself until the piece is greenlit, like until something happens with the, where there's cash, and then it's like, okay, now we can talk about this, and it's almost backwards. As Jeez, far as- I've never, I've, I've never had <laughs> my last like. 12 years, I don't think I've been on a project that's been greenlit till we're at least like four weeks into shooting. <laughs> <laughs> or at least, at least that's what they tell me. Yeah, well, yeah. There, hits a, there hits a level where my guys, are, my guys are like, well, we have to wait until we hit this stage. So it's, and, right. and, and oftentimes I feel like from my end of things, it's like, well, can I just talk early on just to figure out exactly what this is about <laughs> right. before? Absolutely. You know, because you're guessing, you know, you in the beginning, you're just sort of like, okay cool wouldn't it be cool if we did a car chase that ran around this corner and then you know it isn't it, i've been directing commercials and music videos for 18 years and i believe in learning on sets and it isn't until you're on the set that you go okay that actual light unit takes like three guys to put up and this you know exactly. this takes a generator and 25 minutes and this is my time i've got to factor into my shooting day and exactly exactly yeah. exactly and i think that is super important because then you're planning something that you can pull off and then you're turning to someone that's giving you cash going to be able to say to them i can realistically do this i can do this within yeah. a period of time i mean i get a lot of you know, young directors and through friends. Obviously, if I if I did it to everyone, I, I would wouldn't have a chance to do my job. I'd just be meeting people every day, all day. But yes. it's uh, I always try, and it's I'm you know anyone that knows me will, will tell you this as well. Like as stunt young stunt people performers, I will always give all I can to give back to the to the business for someone that is is keen and passionate. And I'm always brutal with my advice because I'm very honest. I don't paint a pretty picture, and I. I, I definitely don't, you know, tell them there someone's done something amazing. If it's not, I, I want everyone to be the best. So I'll always try and give as true and sound advice as I can. Mm-hmm. But I do have a lot of people that still come through and like, oh wait, can I just buy you a beer or can we have a coffee or something? I'm like, and if I've got time, and you know, it's absolutely I do it. I mean, <clears throat> my wife will tell you, anyone will tell you. I'm sure. Where are you going? I'm, I'm just going to, you know, cruise down to meet this person and they want to ask me some questions. It's like it's what it's all about. If we don't have that community and and, that, and, and, you know, I, I fought <laughs> very hard to get to where I am. I certainly didn't have it easy. No one, I didn't know anyone in the business. And I, I definitely went through the school of hard knocks. I had zero help from anyone getting to where I, where I worked to, you know, to at this stage. So, you know, if I can give back to someone and give advice that they're not going down the wrong road for so many years, it makes their journey take longer. If I can give a little bit of advice that helps tipple the scales and makes them get to where they want to get a little bit quicker because they're great creative minds. And God, if I can help, I will for sure, always. Well, you've been helping immensely by just sitting here and chatting with me, and it's been fantastic. And you're, I know your schedule is is crazy, and I have to thank your assistant, Susie, for, for, for making this work for us. Um, I really appreciate you being on the show. It's an honor to chat with you, my friend. Thank you very much. There it is, remastered in the can. Isn't it a great interview? And also, can you like see my development? <laughs> Let's make this about me. Can you see my development over time? Like I've sort of got my shit together since then. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I was really just like, fuck, I hope this doesn't go out. I hope we're on fucking Skype. I hope I don't drop this call. I'm so excited. 
and he shared so much great stuff. I love this dude. I would love to work with this guy. I'm in the process now of trying to put together an action movie and I, I really wish I could afford him to get him on it um, because he sounds like he's a lot of fun to work with. Very exciting dude and he's creating some of, he's coordinating some of the coolest stunt sequences in modern cinema right now. Um, so hope you guys enjoyed the interview. hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, and I'm going to be going back and, and remastering episodes uh, on occasion now and then to try to bring them up currently. Uh, and I hope you guys like that too. This was like, uh, what was this like in the sixties or something? Episode 60 something. Uh, there's a lot of good ones back there. There's a lot of ones, a lot of really great episodes prior to episode 40 that many of you just haven't listened to yet. Uh, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. I've, I've put all the episodes together based upon subject material. So if you just want to listen to the directors, the stunt coordinators or whatever, you can easily do that at our website, inlovewiththeprocess.com. Uh, and thank you everybody for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and following the podcast in love with the process pod on Instagram. I've been trying to keep you guys up to date with what it is that I got going on. Um, well, that's it, man. I appreciate you guys. And uh, as always, there'll be a new episode headed your way on Tuesday. So thanks for listening. <laughs>